All right. Hello, guys. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Visual with Mark Hansen, that podcast where I interview all those people responsible for putting together and creating all those images and videos you see out in your world every single day. I am your host, advertising lifestyle photographer, Mark Hansen. And today, my guest is Liz Miller Gerspeld. And Liz is the VP executive art producer at Energy BBDO in Chicago. And Liz has been at this position for over 20 years. She's seen a lot of things. She's done a lot. She's a great person. Lots of fun to talk to. We talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about her first shoot as a freelancer was with David LaChapelle. And he was actually doing a casting for another shoot. And wait till you hear about that one. So um, let's just say it was for MTV and it was definitely a little bit um, offbeat. So lots of fun there. Her first unpaid PA assignment was for a prison movie. So she was basically working with the extras who happened to be the prisoners. So she tells us that story. Um, she gives us a little bit about life as a producer and what that enhances or entails, not enhances, she, <laughs> what that entails, uh, what being a producer is like. And um, also some things about photographers that she wished that they would all do to make her life a little bit easier. Talk about all kinds of stuff. Also, another shoot she did back in uh, L.A. out in California that had some interesting consequences that had to do with the forest fires that were going on at the time. So definitely check this one out. It's lots of fun, lots of cool information, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Be sure and like it, thumbs up it, subscribe, leave a comment, all that kind of stuff, and let me know what you think. Um, yeah, thank you. I really do appreciate you doing this. This is I'm excited about this. this thing yeah, is really it's cool. fun. I I I was uh, I was compelled, and I saw some of your other podcasts. Or I don't know what do you call it when you see a podcast when it's the video. I was watching them. On- I don't know what you call that. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> we got to come up with a them. name for it, right? Yeah, it, yeah. I don't know what they call it. Can it still be a podcast? Podcast a- and more. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. We'll just call it and more. <laughs> Right. Well, tell me, okay, so what made you an art producer? Did this Was this whole thing something that started when you were a kid and you're like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to like produce shoots. No, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I guess, uh, like a lot of people in, in advertising, it's sort of a circuitous route. I mean, I've been interested in photography forever. I grew up in Detroit. And um, we used to, on Sundays, we used to go to the Art Institute, um, the Detroit Art Institute, which is like the finest institution. And we used to go there every Sunday. We'd go to the Art Institute, we'd go to Greektown. And I just grew up loving art and being immersed in it. And my parents had this, I don't even know where they got it. I don't know if it was like... um, I don't, I don't know why they came to have this collection of art books, but they had a particular group of books that had, you know, like Andre, Henri Cartier-Bresson and like some of the, the great photographers. And so I grew up looking at this photography and loving it. Um, Did you and shoot then, What's that? Did you shoot? Um, well, I... I, when I was a kid, I had an instant camera. I had yeah. an old, I had a Polaroid that you cranked. Oh yeah. Wow. Um, and then I had a Canon snappy. And so I, I did document my life, but you know, my attempts at art were not good. <laughs> they were just, <laughs> but they felt good, you know? Um, and then when I went to school, I studied journalism and uh, I had a minor in uh, a natural sciences, environmental sciences. Oh, wow. um, but in journalism, of course, you know you you do have a, a, a you you do a, some photojournalism, and so I had some darkroom classes and photo history and things like that. 
And then um, at the end of my uh, at the end of my college career, I was at Michigan State in and um, the 19. So now everybody's going to know how old I am, but it's OK. I'm cool with it. <laughs> um, the 1992 presidential debates uh, came to my college campus. And at the time I was doing an internship at the MSU News Bureau. And so through that internship, I got to work on the debates. And so the way they worked back then, there was a news feed. So it was, uh, so one, uh, uh, so it was, you know, like each, each debate, it would be ABC, CBS, or NBC. And it was, it was CBS that time. And so they hired me as a PA, um, and I had this amazing all access pass and I got to, you know, in the morning, I got to give all of the, the journalists their schedule of the day. And it was very exciting. Um, and so then after I graduated, I, I, I knew I wanted to somehow be involved in this production excitement. So I moved to Chicago with, with no job whatsoever and really? not a lot of direction uh, of, about exactly what aspect I wanted to be involved in. Um, and I, I waited tables because that's what you do. Yeah. And through that job, I met a, a person who introduced me to the world of PAing in Chicago. And I ended up working um, as an unpaid intern on a, a low budget prison film. Prison. And my, oh my gosh, my parents were horrified because <laughs> I was like, this is such a great opportunity. Of course, I'm not getting paid a dollar, <laughs> <you know? laughs> but I will get meals. Well, there you go. There's something. My brother will do anything for free food. So maybe you and them have something in common. So, yeah. So my job on that was they made me the, the second, second AD, which basically meant that I was wrangling the extras talent. And on a prison film, that means you're wrangling the prisoners in the prison yard. Oh, and wow. so basically, you know, I'd have a walkie talkie and there I was being told, okay, so give, uh, give, give cigarettes to that prisoner over there and, you know, bring these. <laughs> and it was, it was crazy. You know, you drive into the set and walk in and there's a, a, a room that says strip search with like a, a, a little plaque <laughs> over it that says hair and makeup. And <laughs> oh my God. So that, that was, uh, but it didn't discourage me. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was um, an interesting experience. And so from there, I worked on a handful of other low budget films. Um, I did, uh, I did craft service on a film um and uh wrangled talent on a number of them and and through that i started working with uh some a, a local director and mostly doing casting for him but eventually he made me his his producer and it really was uh it was it was learning the hard way because i didn't i did not know what i was doing but i was being given opportunities that lots of chances to fail, but also lots of chances to learn. <laughs> Were you finally getting paid? Yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> That's good. At least you're getting paid something. A little bit. And um, over time, I learned about this, this job that existed. They called it an art buyer. And I thought, what is an art buyer? That's, that, that sounds like the person who who buys posters for right, an ad agency. Yeah. <laughs> you get paid for that? <laughs> Weird, sign me up. That sounds pretty good. Um, but uh, I, I got to work with the agency where I am now. I've been here for 21 years, if you can believe that. Old school. Yeah. And um, I, was work, I was freelancing for the agency and I was producing uh, radio. I was producing radio for an entire summer really? and learned that they needed an art buyer at the time. And um, they brought me on to freelance for a project where uh, they were shooting with David LaChapelle. So my very first chance so your to- Your first gig was with David LaChapelle? My first gig was with David LaChapelle. 
How and was it, that? It was, I didn't know any. T- right. <laughs> I, you know. Was he a now, diva? Because I've heard stories that he can be. He, he has got a remarkable vision and quite a personality. <laughs> and, and it was, it, it was an amazing experience. I remember that we were shooting, but he was also casting at the time for another job he was working on, which was the millennial Rolling Stone cover where he had female impersonators of famous divas in music. So, you know, like the Madonna and the Tina Turner and- and, uh, Was he casting on set while y'all were shooting? Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. It was, it was, so anyway, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was an, it was a unique experience and I didn't know how unique it was because it was, it was my first time doing that. Um, and then I was offered the job after that and, uh, the rest is, is my personal history. So, yeah. That's incredible. It's yeah, it's been it's been really it's it's been such a it's been such a wonderful opportunity. Was your next shoot yeah. after David LaChapelle a complete letdown? <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the next one David after that was. Casting drag queens or whatever it, would have to be like setting the bar very high, and you could not measure up yeah right right i i don't recall being let down because it was all interesting and i just didn't know how unique that experience was at the time wow that's all right what kind of dog do you have oh yeah here he is let me see furry oh he's a standard poodle yes very cool (laughs) yeah we um we adopted him gosh he's eight we adopted him when he was three really so how lucky is that you just give up poodles not typically yeah i didn't know (laughs) what a unique and privileged people adopting a poodle that's cool I'm, i'm telling you i you know it's funny when i was uh when i was in the fourth grade i had a series of of lucky things happen that i had no idea how fortunate. I, I, you know, I, I guessed the number of jelly beans in a jar and I won this gingerbread complex and I won a 10 speed and I even won a small amount of money in the lottery. So really? I have to say, I, I feel like I'm a fortunate person. <laughs> yes. And that was all fourth grade. Well, that it, that's when well, it started. That's started. when the luck started. Was in the fourth grade. Fourth grade. Yeah. Wow. What'd you do in fourth grade? I want to know. <laughs> Make it yeah. start. I, I don't know. I That's don't know. Impressive. <laughs> wow. And then you find a poodle, which nobody gives up poodles. I yeah, he's great. And it's it's funny because my husband had ne- I grew up with uh, dogs. My husband never had a dog. And I I said, look, we have this opportunity through a friend of a friend. And he's, well, you know, the dog needs to be trained it needs to be hypoallergenic it needs you know all these things and i'm like check 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 (laughs) (laughs) so there you go so the poodles don't shed you just have to cut them is that right you just you do have to cut them that's right Uh, um i don't know six weeks some some people are very you know some people have a very well groomed uh have very well groomed poodles and they get uh, frequent haircuts, but we go every four to six weeks. And so it's like it seems, a person, pretty much. Yeah, basically. Well, I haven't had a professional haircut in over a year. <laughs> I bought scissors and trust my husband, but. <laughs> you do the Floby like um, uh, George Clooney does. I don't know what that is. Have you not heard that? No, Listen, tell George me. George Clooney cuts, has been cutting his hair evidently for. I don't even know how long, pretty much his whole life it's, it sounded like with a Floby. And it's literally, it attaches to your vacuum cleaner. And it's this thing that I guess rotates and cuts your hair. And you yeah. can put in, I guess, guards to decide how long you want it to be. And you literally just suck it to your head and then it just cuts and you just go around. And I guess you can adjust the length, you know, if you want a little, lo- you know, shorter here or longer here or whatever. Yeah. And you just do it and you just, 
Yeah. So evidently he uses that thing to cut his own hair and he cuts his son's hair with it. That sounds great. And I won't be doing it. Uh, yeah, me either. <laughs> I asked my, uh, the guy who cuts my hair, I asked him about it. He was like, oh yeah, they work. He said, but you can tell because everything's the exact same length all the way around. <laughs> yeah. He said, so it doesn't surprise me. That's what he uses. That's funny. Okay. All right. So we'll get back to actual work talk, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So did you have somebody help you in this as an art buyer at the time? And when did mm -hmm. that change? When did you go from art buyer to art producer? Did your, did your responsibilities change with the title change? Or is it the same thing that just decided, well, you do more than just sit there and go, oh, you'd be good? No, I'm trying to remember what year it was. It was, I, I have to think of it in terms of like how old, I can always remember things based on how old my kids were at, yeah, when, when it, yeah. So I'm thinking it was like my son was maybe, my oldest son was maybe three. He was born in 2003. So maybe 2000, somewhere between 2006 and eight. Okay. It was, it was, just that that became a more contemporary term for, right. for what I do. I do know that there are, um, you know, I, I don't think, I guess every agency has their own um, role definitions. And there are some people who are, the role of art buyer seems to feel a little more like a business manager in yeah. the agency environment. And the role of art producer is more like, integrated producer now which you know then became another term it's really that basically you know, the same thing it's the same thing more or less isn't it yeah it, it, it's it's what kind of things are you making right. you know? <laughs> and who what kind of people are you working with what kinds of artists what you know what sorts of disciplines do they work in um so uh what what i do has changed less because of the change in the name of the role and more it just in terms of the evolution our our business has has undergone you know i i, I don't think there are too many um people who can there there are certainly but it's it's more and more difficult to just be a still photographer and not get into even little bits of motion like gifs and cinemagraphs yeah. and things of that nature um so yeah it seems like it for sure yeah i did i actually was probably two classes away from having a double major in media advertising and broadcast production Huh. And my dad was, my father was paying for my school and it was going to be an extra semester. And I'd already been in four and a half years. He was like, you can pay for it. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's not worth having a double major in communications, but that's when I started shooting video as well. But that's when you had, you know, the VHS tape and you put one in this one, one, in this one, you lost quality. Every time you made it, you had to splice the, the audio to go in there and all that stuff. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, there's a squirrel outside and my dog wants to make sure I'm protected. Absolutely. Mine does that anytime a dog's walking by and she can see, you know, or people are walking by, she starts barking. What made you choose Chicago over like New York? Was it because Chicago was right next door? Yeah, I think so. I really, I, 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 um, I, I wasn't the, as directed as a lot of people coming right out of uh college. I, I knew that I wanted to something, you know, around storytelling and photography or production, or these were things that were sort of very interesting. And after that experience that I had uh, working on the, um, on the debate with George Bush, Bill Clinton, and Ross Perot, um, Ross Perot. I, Did you get to meet Ross Perot? I got to shake all of their hands. Okay, was but, Bill Clinton really as mesmerizing as I've heard people say he is when he shakes your hand? He like shakes it and uses both hands and he just kind of looks at you like you're the only person in the room kind of thing? Or is he just because you're a PA and he was busy? He was just like, hey, nice to meet you and moved on. It was very much a, 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 a friendly but fast. Right. Yeah. You know, so I, to me, it was like so meaningful. Well, I bet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, 
but after that, I considered moving to New York um, to be a, a page for CBS. Oh, yeah. And the people I had worked with, I was talking to them. But my, my college roommate was moving to Chicago. And it was a lot easier for me to move with her and and get an apartment. And so that's what that's what we did. It, it's it, it's it's one of those, you know, you make these decisions when especially in those young years oh, wow. that just feel like, I don't know, I'm flipping a coin. I could go here. I could go there. And it just affects the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Profoundly. Yeah. It's amazing how that happens. I tell my daughters now, I'm like. I have an old, my oldest one is a sophomore in college. My youngest one was born in 2003 and she starts, I guess, August, I guess is when they start the school. But I tell them both, I'm like, you guys are at the point now, especially my older one. I was like, when you graduate or if there's something you want to do, just go for it and try it and just get it out of the way and do it. Because I mean, if you want to move to New York, Chicago, LA, just do it. Because at some point down the road, you're going to get to a point where you're like, yeah, I can't do that because I now have children or I'm married and that's right. We're difficult. So, well, and I mean, I I think from just a a future career perspective, depending what you want to do, of course, it's interesting to see people who have followed their interests. Yes. And you really, I, I, it's, it's difficult to know what you want to do until you explore your own interests. Yep. And so it, it's, I think that's great advice you're giving your daughters and yeah, freedom. I I, I I've gone to New York. I would have gone to New York for a little bit right out of school and yeah. out and all that kind of stuff. Probably assisted and that kind of thing. But what would you, okay. So my oldest, she's, she knows what I do. I tell she wants to travel tell her a little bit about art producers for somebody who's thinking about being an art producer mm. or consider it. What kind of things would you want them to know good and bad about the job? Do you travel a lot or did you travel mm. a lot when we were all allowed to travel? And you know, what is like a typical day, you know, for you like, and what are your main responsibilities? So if she mm. was saying, Hey, I want to be an art producer, what would you tell her overall to make her know the good and the bad of it? I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a good question. Well, yes, I did travel quite a bit. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting having older kids. My, my job is more fun than ever now that my kids are a little older yeah. um, because I don't feel like I'm, you know, pulled in two different directions. So that that's that's so you know where your your life is 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 one consideration, um, but uh, the good the bad and what an average typical day is. So for me, especially in COVID, I'm managing more projects than I used to manage at once. Um, so right now I have seven projects. Eight, pro- eight projects and each one is at a different life cycle. And, you know, I've been doing, like I said, I've been doing the, I've been at my agency for 21 years. And before that, you know, I had a lot of experience as well. So, you know, those, those, the, you know, kind of managing the life cycle of these jobs becomes, it becomes uh less less clunky like in the front part of your brain and more like you 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 know how it works it's like making a recipe that that you know how to make really well um although every job is 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 i learn something new on every project um but i would say that for you know the good why don't i just the the good of it is the job can be very good as long as you're focused on, um, as long as you're focused on creatively, if, if you can work on projects where the creative is interesting and everyone is, is sort of holding hands and saying, we want this to be creatively really good and whatever it takes to make that happen. And, and, and we're all sort of working together to make that happen. That's when, that's when it's really good. That's when it's exciting. That's right. when you feel like these creative collaborations with, with photographers and with your creative team and clients are excited. 
those are the good jobs. Um, not every not every project is like that. There are nuts and bolts projects that are like, okay, we need and we have an e-commerce project that has, you know, uh, you just refer to them as assets because they're 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 it's not a lot of um, artistry as much as it's it's uh, it's a product that had that that works for clients and. Um, and often, you know, you're struggling with uh, not having enough um, resources, time and money, time or money. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's the eternal rub, time, quality, money. You know, how do you, how do you optimize right. what you have and work with what you don't? Um, so, so that's where, that's where it kind of gets tough and an and average day, there is no average day. It really depends on the life cycle of the projects that you're in. There's typically, I have, a, a, you know, I'll, I'll be at the point of, of finding photographers for one job. So that's like one process. Um, having creative calls and bidding another job, um, working with clients or cost consultants on another, and then you're in pre-production on yet another. Um, production. How does the cost consulting thing work with you? Does that irritate you ever or always? Um, it, it used to irritate me more when I looked at it as a challenge to my own, skill set. When I used to feel like, why do I need another person who is questioning me on what I'm supposed to be doing? I used to feel irked by it. Okay. Um, I, I, I try to be more, you know, I've, I, I guess I've grown to be more objective about it. And it's, you know, they have a role and their role is to um, make sure that the clients are getting um, and often they're also playing the role of the client who gets into the weeds on things like usage and wow. and variations and and you know all of those sorts of things where you know sometimes on a on the brand manager side, that isn't what they're focused on. So it's good to have someone who does focus on that. So I, I don't know. I, I, I find that if I, if I em embrace it and be object and try to be objective about it, right. that it, um, it, that I can maintain my own um, equanimity okay. as far as that is <laughs> concerned, which to me, every day I start out and I, the day and just, uh, I'm like, I just want mental calmness today because there is a lot going on. You know, I, I plug into my computer and sometimes I am just like, you just get in the zone yeah. and you don't come out until 6 PM uh, or, or whenever. Right. And, and, you know, then there you are no commute anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess good, good and bad. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Get more I used to love out. my commute. I'm a bike commuter. And so oh, that really? was like, that was such a, a place to clear my head and, and shift gears. Well, you know what? I used to do it in the winter. And then um, last winter, so, and the winter before our, our lake, our lake path has changed. The climate change is very real and the path itself has, has changed. Really? And the water has been coming up. There's a spot on the lake path where the water was coming up more and more. And last winter, I had a scary experience where I found myself in the middle of an, like I was just riding along and everything was clear the day before. And I looked down, it was, it was one of those like, like a dream where you wake up and you're ill prepared for something. I was riding along, everything was great. And then I looked down and I was like on nothing but ice. It was just pure ice. And then it just went straight to the water. And I was, I hadn't slipped. I hadn't had a problem. And then as soon as my awareness right. observed what was going on, 
I was like sliding and I got off my bike. I carried it. I walked up, found some dry, you know, sidewalk and rode the rest of the way to work however I could. Um, but after that, well, and then, you know, in the spring we had the shutdown, but after that I stopped riding because it just, I, it wasn't safe and it wasn't, it wasn't giving me the, 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 um, the enjoyment factor that I was doing it for. Yeah. That would freak me out a little bit. Yeah. Are they going to fix, were they going to fix that? to where the water doesn't come over as much there? That would be such a major capital project. And I think there are too many other projects to tackle, but I have to say that I have not, I've not been on the lake path for some time. So I, I really don't know what it, what the conditions were like this winter. I've got my bike on a trainer now. And oh, yeah. when I, when I, when I shut off the computer, I just go downstairs and I get on the trainer and it's, it's not the same, but it still yeah. gives a little, like a little transition from end of work day to the, the time to chill. Do you have a screen that you can see like different places or you just get on it and just ride? No, I, um, Put a I, big monitor in front of you and like put. I have a, it's, it's in my basement and I have a TV down there. And honestly, and I'm not proud of this, but it's just true. I, I watch a little Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. currently watching uh, like 2015 Ladies of London while I, while I spin for 40 minutes. Hey, that's TV. all right. My daughter loves um, anything Hallmark especially around Christmas. She is to the point where she wants to live in a Hallmark movie. As long Aww. as she wants a little town, she wants to own a cupcake shop. She wants to meet the man of her dreams who happens to be, you know, some rich dude, but the little town needs to be near a mall and a target. So that's a little bit of an issue, <laughs> but that's, well, that's good. At least you well, there you go. The thing with you go down there and kind of transition from work to to regular life. Yeah, That's you need good. it. You need it. Have you ever gotten projects mixed up? Have you ever been on a creative call and thought you were going to talk about something else, especially when you were younger? And you, as soon as they start to call you, oh crap, wrong project. Okay. <laughs> well, no. However, I used to have um, I used to have a dial-in number. And if you would schedule calls too close together, which I, I learned very quickly not to do this, um, somebody would call in and you would still be talking to, to the person you were talking to before, right. um, which just felt really, it felt disrespectful. I felt very bad the once or twice that that happened, but. Yeah, because I've called in before, not on the Zoom calls, but just on the regular, on the phone and called in and you can just, and they don't know you're there or they don't hear the little beep and you just sit there and you just listen to everything they're talking about. Oh, yeah. Hi. And then nobody says anything, but they still keep talking to each other. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just sit here for a second. And you're, right. you're like, hello, I'm here. <laughs> just see what else they're talking about. Let's see if they're talking about me yet or not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, so do you do portfolio shows have you like done those things where you should go and you look through portfolios at these big shows and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. i've done those do you mm -hmm. like those do you see uh, have you found anybody from those i'm trying to think if i have i have met so i've done i've done the the big ones where people go and you you go around the room um Columbia College, which is a, a has a, a portfolio program and a photography program, that was one that I always enjoyed doing because you'd see the graduating seniors oh, yeah. and seeing their work was really cool. Um, and our local APA, you know, would do um, portfolio reviews, but people would sign up, and so they're one on one, and it sort of feels like speed dating. Right. Um, and I've been to shows like that. Those are, those are, those are great. I think any way that people can, any way that you can get your work in front of, of as many eyeballs as possible is, is beneficial to a photographer, Yeah. especially, you know, if it, I think that it's good because you learn to, to, um, not take everything too personally, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And you learn that there are going to be 20 different opinions on the same image. And, mm -hmm. and so maybe it helps to um, 
crystallize your own opinion, you know, by, yeah. by seeing that there's, there's something subjective here. And then there, you're going to get some, some really good feedback from some people. And if you can start to aggregate, like, what does good feedback mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most importantly, you know, I think that photographers uh, often hesitate to show their portfolios until they feel like it's perfect. Right. And it's, it's, it, your portfolio is, it's a living it's a living document or, or book or collection of images that should always be changing as, as you change and as your vision changes and as the, the market changes, it, it's, it's always going to be changing and it's never going to be perfect. Yes. And, and it's, it's not you, you know, like right. don't release your personal attachment to it and, and, and objectively receive feedback which yeah. I can't, it's how hard you're an artist. It can you feel personally connected. I think, well, for me, the hardest part for me is when my wife does it. And it's a, and that's all me. That's all I want her to think everything I do is wonderful. And so when she comes in and goes, eh, I don't know about that shot, or I don't like that because of this, or, she's got a great eye. Mm-hmm. So she like picks stuff apart and occasionally. So for me, it's like, Ugh. but if somebody else does it, I don't have a problem. Like my first, I guess one really, I guess it was a portfolio review in New York. I went to see a photo agent mm-hmm. and we're still friends to this day. And that was 20 something years ago. And he's flipping through my book and he stops at a cover from a magazine. It was a small magazine here in Charlotte. And he stops at the cover and goes, what the fuck is this doing in here? And I went, uh, and he's like, is it because it's a cover? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, this, the clothing, the styling's bad. The model's bad. The photography's good, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Get right. rid of this. And I realized I wasn't offended by that because he told me what the reason was for it. And from that point on, we became friends because he he would just crack on anything that he didn't like. He, and he would tell me exactly why it was. There was none of this, all right, thank you. We'll let you know if we have any openings, right. that kind of thing. And so from that point forward, I don't think any, nobody's ever said anything that harsh. So I'm like, right. You know, I've had one art producer in New York who looked at some stuff. She goes, all right, don't show this to anybody ever again. You know, I was like, in That's New York. That's great. And I loved it. She's like, this and then she actually went through we we're at lunch it's like these things these things show this show this show this show this, get rid of that get rid of that get rid of that mm-hmm. and then it was amazing because after she did that my the meetings before had been okay the next two meetings completely different i mean you took the feedback advice. i got was yeah because i had a most of it on the ipad uh-huh. and so i got rid of it and I had a book with me as well but um, yeah, when I made those changes on the iPad, the next two meetings completely different from the meetings before. Right. You know, it's funny. It's it's uh, I, it's understandable that people when they're starting out, they want to show they want something for everyone. Yes. You know, and yep. or if you have uh, if you have something that shows that you were commissioned you know, to do something, mm-hmm. it's and you don't have a ton of commissions. You know, oh well, I have to show this commission even yes. if it isn't amazing and i would rather see personal work that's interesting that reflects where you are than commissions that you know show that you got a gig right yeah i agree there was a photographer years ago when i was in i was just starting out i was in miami for about three months and this guy had a book and there was not one piece of copy on anything in his book and he was like your book, you show what you want to shoot or you show it without the copy. He said, because the art directors will look at it and go, oh, I hate that copy, or, you know, or I hate the way they did this or whoever it is. And he said, this way you show what you did. Then you can always put a thing to the side and go, here are the clients I've shot for or here's the That's stuff right. I've shot. And he said, it's not as distracting. And I was like, that makes sense to me. And because there were times where I think the copy on it or whatever was distracting from the shot. Mm-hmm. So I can see that for sure. Yeah. You have to think about who the audience is and it can, they will focus, even if it has nothing to do with your photography, oh, it yeah. will, it will take the focus away. And that's the last thing you want. And I learned that 
right. I think I kept it in there. And then after that, I had a meeting with the creative director and the creative director was like, God, I hate the way they put this on here. I hate that they put that over there. Why didn't they put it over here? I was like, okay, yeah, he's totally right. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What's the photographer done? What's the worst thing you've had a photographer do that irritates you? Well, maybe not the worst thing, but what do photographers do from either the worst thing or mm. just in general that irritates you as, or even agents as an art producer? Mm. The, that's Because I, I, I know I, we do something that irritates you. <laughs> well, that's a very broad question. It would be not being really straight with me when things are maybe going off the rails. Like everybody has uh, a plan. I expect, a, you know, if, if I'm going to assign a job to someone, I've learned enough over the years to know, I want to know the plan. I want to know the plan in detail. Um, you know, a good place to put that plan is the treatment. It's yeah. like, here's the treatment. And then here's the, the, the estimate, which is the blueprint really, or like getting into the, the, um, getting into the code, right. you know, but, um, I had a project, uh, I mean, one in particular stands out as painful. Obviously I'm not going to get into any specific oh, yeah. details, but, um, we, we had a project where we were making a prop and the person who got the job had the most elaborate in their treatment, their prop was the most elaborate and they promised a great deal. And so the creatives and the clients were excited that they could do it within our budget and time. And we were meeting all of our benchmarks for like meeting and seeing things and um, everything appeared to be fine. And then we went out, I traveled to see the prop a few days before, because everything kind of hinged on this prop. So we, it, which was a, a costume. And so the, so we went out to see this, this, this prop, this costume, which was supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to be able to make expressions and it was, it, it was like there, all of this, all of, it was a great plan and a lot of promise. And I'll never forget walking into this studio and it was supposed to be at the 95% line four days prior to the shoot. Wow. And this thing was like, eyeballs, no skin. I mean, it was like a horror show. Um, and, and it, it, it was the worst possible case scenario of, of how wrong it not, not, and, and I was completely blindsided because, um, you know, every, every, every time benchmark had been achieved up to that point. Um, and so we ended up having to create it in CGI and just like shoot the bones. <laughs> really? um, mm -hmm. Wow. How'd that affect the budget? Um, I mean, we made things work. Right. We made things work the way we, we made things work. I but. can't imagine doing that. Right. So, I, I mean, it's really, I, I, Look, do you think that was something like, where they knew this wasn't going to work out or they really thought they could do it and then just found out into it they couldn't do it? Mark, I would say that the human condition is that we lean into wishful thinking yeah. to get us through difficult times. Uh, in, in, in the professional setting, wishful thinking is, is, is not appropriate. <laughs> No, <laughs> but, but I see people engage in it often. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was wishful thinking. So to answer your question, I know that difficult question, difficult conversations can be really hard to have. You don't know how it's going to be received, but I, I, I always, I always, uh, advise, um, people to lean into transparency early and often. So, you know, like very clear, be very clear about benchmarks that need to be yeah. uh, reached along the way. And when things aren't, aren't get a little off track, everybody needs to understand here's what this means. Here's what this means to time, money, creative. And 
then you set expectations uh, across the board. I actually have to hold myself back sometimes from telling clients that kind of thing because I've learned that sometimes give it the time to work itself out so I know mm -hmm. what it is because I've had shoots where I was told I'm booked. I'd already told the client, one client, hey, I may not be available for this shoot on the days we have on hold because I have another shoot that's going to be confirmed. And they're like, that's fine. Not a problem. Just let us know. So I was told, basically, I have the shoot. We'll confirm it tomorrow, but it's going to be yours. Like, okay. So I went ahead and instead of waiting till the next day to get the actual confirmation, I went ahead and called the other client because I wanted them to be able to move forward and get their you know, their shoot rolling. And so I said, Hey, I'm going to have this other shoot. It's four days. It was going to be, their shoot was going to be a one day deal. We had already talked about it ahead of time before I ever accepted, told them I could accept this other four day gig. And they said, okay, no problem. Just let us know. So then I told them, Hey, I've been told I'm going to have this gig. They said, okay, the next day, my client and their client had gotten into an argument over them choosing me without my client choosing me without their client giving full approval on it. So to show that they had the power, my client's client said, no, we're going to go with this other photographer. So I ended up losing both jobs because oh. I was trying to be good to my other client, let them move forward. So I called them up and was like, Hey, the other job fell through is, have you found somebody else yet? And they're like, yeah, we did. Sorry. I'm like, damn. So, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I try and wait a little bit, but I'm always so anxious to let my clients know if there's anything that's coming up that I want yeah. them to be able to be prepared for it, that I'm, I'm trying now to like, okay, is this absolutely going to be a thing? Like with that thing, I think I would have figured it out pretty quickly. Hey, <laughs> this is going to be an issue. Yeah, but to your, your point, there's, there's nuance there's yeah. nuance and and there's there's transparency. I mean, listen, once you're once you're working with someone else's money mm -hmm. and they've trusted you with a job, that's when transparency but transparency without uh with without uh necessarily emotional interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I want the whole thing it comes down to is I want you to look good to your client ultimately. Right. So I want to make sure that there's nothing that's going to surprise you, you know, that's when right. we come up with a shoot for sure. Yeah. So with all the traveling you've done, where's your, where's the favorite place, the place you had the most fun on a shoot traveling to? Oh boy. I mean, uh, I mean, I've had the opportunity to travel to places like Barcelona and Stockholm and oh, wow. you know those are wonderful places to shoot but I have also done production in Colorado and Northern California and I, I think that I've probably you know I love I love uh, outdoor photography yeah. that you know when when you when you're doing location photography in the outdoors, it's a, it's a different kind of problem solving. It's a different kind of bonding with your team. Um, it's, 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 uh, you run into different, um, uh, you have different adventures. Yeah. Um, and I love that, that, I mean, that's just me. That's, that's what I, I love most of all. Well, I agree. Um, yeah, completely. Especially when you do anything on, on a cool location, do you build in time to like hang out and go see, wherever you're going, if you're going someplace, you really want to check it out. Do you build in that time either um, before or after the shoot or. You know what, when, uh, so my sons are 15 and 17. And so now they're at an age where, um, they, they still require parenting, but it's much less intensive. Yes. Right. So yeah. when they were younger, I would, I would, I would always take a red eye home. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, <laughs> me too. Me too. Yep. There, I, I was like, you, you know, just nothing would keep me away from my kids one second more than, yep. um, you know, than I had to. Uh, but I, I do see that changing in, in the future. Yeah. Um, if I can, if there's For me, it's you know, worse working in town. 
So if I have a shoot in town, I'm just like, okay, let's shoot. And as soon as it's over, I want to get out and get home, get back and see my kids. If I'm sure. out of town, I'll work 15, 20 hours because yeah. there's nothing for me to get back to, you know, other than my hotel. So I'm yeah. like, whatever. But yeah, when the shoot's over, I've always been like, all right, I'm going to get the first flight back. Yeah. I'm going to head home as soon as I can. But now mine's got one in college, one's getting ready to start college. And even now yeah. she doesn't come out of her room. She's in the IB. Right. She's nonstop in front of a computer doing some yeah. project that's due. So we see her literally with all the at-home schooling now, she comes down, grabs something real quick and takes it back up to her room for breakfast. She'll come down for a few minutes for lunch, yeah. come down for a few minutes for dinner. And if you're really lucky, she can hang out after dinner for a little bit. But lately yeah. it's been right back up to her room to do stuff. Yeah. It's terrible. And that's her senior year. I'm like, come on. Yeah. I know. Right. I know it's this, this, this year. Yeah. I mean, it's really crazy that we're coming up on a year of, of right. this, this life last year on uh, March 13th, I was in Los Angeles and flying home and just like, what's going on. Mm-hmm. I was trying to order a couple dumbbells. You know, yeah. and just, <laughs> like It was I don't yeah. know. It was, it was nuts. And that was and my last day of work too, was the 13th. Yeah. yeah. And I had yeah. four and a half months of sitting down doing nothing. While I was doing yeah. things. I was like, right. that's how I ended up redoing the website and meeting people and doing this thing. But that's great. I sat down so much that I got like some pain down my back and in my leg and I had to go to start going to the chiropractor to fix it. Now I, I stand up a lot more if I'm home yeah. instead mm-hmm. of sitting down. All right. So I'm going to ask you the last question. Then I'll let you go. What is the strangest or most interesting or coolest story you can think of from your career in producing? Oh, well, you know, uh, I, that's, that's such a hard question. Yes, um, I know. And that's thanks, why. Thanks a lot. I hadn't <laughs> thought about how hard it was until we did. Maria wanted me to do a podcast with me. And so and they I asked you that. a friend of mine asked me and I was thinking that is because your, your whole life is to you is could be kind of normal. Like this whole right. thing over here is just normal, but to other people I'm like, Oh, wow. Right. That's interesting over there. So I was trying to change it to something that's like, maybe like the best story you can think of yeah. from, you know, or something. Well, like that. okay. So, um, it was, it, it was before I had kids and I had four shoots that we get that I scheduled back to back to back all four shoots in a row. So I was out in LA. I, I mean, I was out there for 28 days. Um, yeah. One after was, it was crazy. And that was the summer was it summer or spring? I think it was maybe springtime. And it was the year that there were a number of fires that were set um, in the Sequoia National Forest oh, yeah. by a forest ranger. I don't know if you recall that. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. And so we were doing a shoot that involved shooting a grizzly bear that was supposed to be ignored at a, at a fishery. So the idea was this grizzly bear was ignoring the, the, the salmon as they were, because it was interested in the product. And we shot, uh, um, Oh, trying to remember a, uh, a beaver that was ignoring wood and puppies that were ignoring, um, puppies that were ignoring shoes and a shark that was ignoring feet. So Wait, we were all these animals actually on set. Well, so for the, so stuff? for the feet, no, it wasn't CGI. Cool. No, not at all. So for the feet, we went off Catalina Island and we were on a boat and the photographer went underwater and shot the feet. And then we went to the zoo and he shot the, the shark. Okay. And then, but, but so we did, but we had this, we had this grizzly bear that was a trained grizzly bear and we were bringing it out to this location 
in the Sequoia National Forest. And it was, we had, we had gone to a, a salmon hat, hatchery and shot, and it was amazing because these salmon were jumping and it was gorgeous, such beautiful forest. I mean, talk about like my favorite kind of shooting, just yeah. beautiful. Um, and we were, we were out in the, the Sequoia National Forest and we were at this, like at, at this lodge. And I remember waking up in the morning and I thought, oh no, I'm getting sick. You know, you have that like scratch in the back of your throat yeah. and, and, you know, as soon as like, I consciously started to feel this, like, oh, I'm getting sick. There was an urgent banging at my door. And, and I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I do want to say that I was a much younger producer and now I would not let my gas tank run down to empty, but <laughs> I had not had a chance to fill the gas tank and I was going to fill it the next morning. Right. So right. I go outside and there's this every, it looked like snow, but it wasn't, it was ash on everything and my colleagues we were all coming outside told to evacuate the area the door knocking was the local firefighters saying we're evacuating the area the the fire is moving this way you have to you have to leave well we also had um a trailer that had this grizzly bear we were going to be shooting that day (laughs) so suddenly we have like this evacuation i have no gas in my tank we're out in the middle of nowhere. The gas stations are all closed. So we had to get the bear out of, we had to get, and then uh, we didn't have, we didn't have iPhones at the time. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is like, uh, this was 2001. Yeah. So it was like a whole different, oh, completely. I think it was 2001, 2001 or 2002 around, you know, so it was a whole different ball of wax. So anyway, we all lived to tell. And we found a new location and, and got out of there. But luckily we were up in the hills because I just had to glide. <laughs> I, just, I, I just did not have my foot on the gas and it was just gliding, gliding. Wow. It was just, I learned a lot from, from that experience. Um, and, uh, and a scorpion had gotten scared into my computer bag um, from that oh, I discovered the next morning when I was working on my computer. Um, Did so you that open was, your bag and the scorpion just come flying out of there, crawling out of there? We're crawling, yeah. 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 I have of, an assistant who told me he was staying with some friends and he went and put his boots on and this was down in Alabama. And the guy was like, wait, 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 shake your boots out. And he's like, what? He goes, shake your boots out. And he turned it over and like a scorpion fell out of his boots. Yeah. I was like, in yeah. Alabama? He was like, yeah. I was like, holy well, hell. Yeah, this was uh What'd you do when I, you saw a scorpion? Did you freak out? I I grabbed tissue and I put it in the toilet and I flushed it down. Uh, what, what would you do? Oh, <laughs> See, in my head, okay, I'm guessing it was like this scorpion. Probably. No. In no, my head it's like, this big. It was like, oh, okay. See was like, in my well, head he's like that big. And I'm like, little. I'm not touching that damn thing. Yeah, but, well, no, if it was that big, yeah. I, I just imagine like this four you know, five, six inch scorpion. And I was like, uh, no, that would, that would freak me out a little bit. Well, that's a good story. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for doing this. Mark, thank you for asking me. I'm so happy to meet you. And I meant to ask you the evil Knievel story. <laughs> oh yeah. Listen to my podcast. Okay. I will. I'll hear it on there. The, one, the one where you're interviewed. Yeah. The one where I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to listen to it. Yeah. Well, good. That'll be good. You'll find out then. Yeah, yeah. good. All right. Well, Actually, I'll tell you real quick. My dad was a photographer. He ran a PR division at an insurance company. They sponsored a golf tournament. Evil Knievel happened to be there. And my dad shot pictures of them. And we had a dark room oh. in the house. And my dad's like, you want to come down to the dark room? I was like, sure. So he'd already developed the negatives. And he's doing these prints of Evil Knievel. And I'd never been in the dark room at the time. So he did this shot of Evil Knievel, and I couldn't really tell what it was. He puts it in the, the developer, and all of a sudden, I see this shot of Evil Knievel come popping up. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. I want to yeah. do that. Yeah. And that's how, you know, the whole photography thing started. And then that was 
first or second grade. And so by the time I hit seventh grade, he had taught me how to develop film and, and shoot. And I found out, you know, I could shoot for the school yearbook and I was too skinny to play football, but the cheerleaders liked having their picture taken. So yeah. <laughs> it was another way to meet cheerleaders. So that was it. I love it. Yeah. That's a good story. So that's, that's how it all, it all started out, but right. yeah, it was wonderful meeting you. I enjoyed it. You had some Thanks. great stories. Thanks. This I really cool. appreciate you taking the time and uh, oh, thank you. I look thank forward you. to hearing more of your podcast, seeing more of your photography and talking again. Sounds good. Thank you very All much. Right. Talk to you Take later. Care. Bye. Bye-bye.